Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Reporter's Notebook. I am your host, Mark Anthony, and this one, it's going to be a long one and it's going to be a slightly strange one because this story that I'm about to tell you revolves around my brief but kind of lucrative foray into the field of adult entertainment or better known as the porn industry. So go back to probably 1992, I would guess. I was um, planning to go to Amsterdam to work for a week at an exhibition. Now, for those of you of a certain age, you probably won't be aware of this, but back in 1992, for one thing, there was no internet, so we had no streaming pornography or anything like that. Um, Hardcore pornography was still illegal in this country. So when my friends at the pub heard that I was going to um, Amsterdam for a week, I was inundated with requests to bring back as many video cassettes from the red light district as I possibly could. So I've done a whole day's, uh, a whole week's work actually at at Amsterdam and I've got an afternoon to myself so I took myself off to the red light district. Found myself uh, a suitable shop, and I use the term suitable advisedly. Went in, now a couple of things. First thing is that the fact that the shop was L-shaped. You walked in and then you could turn right. Well, at the beginning of the L, i.e. near near the front door, um, there were floor-to-ceiling pornographic videos. We're talking VHS videos here. It was even um, pre-DVD days. So floor-to-ceiling. And at the door, there was just regular, everyday porn. Men and women together in porn. Went in a little bit further, um, there was a lot of lesbian films. Went a little bit further and, and things got a little more hardcore as you went in. When you got to the end of the bit where the L started to turn right, there were videos featuring dwarves and midgets. I never turned right because by the time I got there I was already afraid enough. So so let's just say I got as far as the hardcore and, and I decided to go shopping. So I picked up three, four videos that I thought my friends would appreciate went to the counter to buy them. Now at the time, these were about 20 or 30 pounds each. Um, And while I was queuing to pay for them, it occurred to me that I was about to pay about 100 pounds for what might prove to be blank videos. So when I got to the front of the queue, I said to the guy, excuse me, is there any chance that I can actually go and check these videos for myself? And he said, yeah, absolutely. He said, we have a room. So he took me to the back of the shop, not via the L, I hasten to add, (coughs) took me to the back of the shop and led me into a booth. And in the booth, there were four things. There was a chair, there was a video recorder, there was a television, and there was a box of Kleenex. Now, I know what you're thinking, but I wasn't. I noted the box of Kleenex, but at no point did I think to myself exactly what that might be for. So, literally put one of the videos that I was planning to buy into the video, fast forwarded, yes, the lads will like that, tried another one yes the boys will definitely like that tried another one yes the guys will like that so i put my all my boxes back together went to the counter and i went to pay and the guy that had led me to the booth saw me coming and he he kind of frowned and said that was quick which i still hadn't worked out what the box of kleenex was there for so i said well whatever you know so paid put them in a bag and walked off I probably got 100 yards down the road when I suddenly realised A, what the box of Kleenex was for, and B, why he had decided that I'd been rather quick. 
and I literally stood on the spot. Should I go back? Should I carry on going? Should I go back? Should I go stay? Now, this is only the beginning of the story, and I mentioned this hovering on the spot because it's an area where I actually have form. Allow me to digress just slightly. Okay, this bit isn't strictly related to my job as a plant journalist or a demolition journalist, but it does show that I have a questionable track record in these things. So, the year is 1981. I've just left school and I'm waiting to start college. And between times I've taken a job in a local news agent's just a short walk away from where I was living with my parents at the time. It's important that you understand that as a 16-year-old I was very, very self-assured. Cocky, I think is probably the word. Yeah, quite full of my own self-importance um, and that came into play very much so. So working in this um, news agent's and there was a, a girl that used to come in, I say girl, she was probably six, seven, maybe even eight years older than me, who used to come in and she had subscribed to a magazine called Man and Woman. And for those of a certain age, you may remember it, but basically it was a serialization of the very famous book, The Joy of Sex. Now, this girl, woman, was 24, 25, as I say, I was 16, um, and I used to have to serve her with this magazine on a weekly basis. And I couldn't resist, so at one point I actually handed her the magazine and, and in my self-assured and cocky way said, um, there's the magazine, but if ever you fancy the real thing, give me a call. Yeah, I really was that cocky. So fast forward a few days, few weeks, I'm walking to work and there is said young lady getting off a bus with armfuls of shopping. So being the, the kind guy that I am, I decided to go and give her a hand. So I've taken some of her shopping and I've walked her to her house. I got to her house and put the shopping inside her house and she said, um, so would you like to come in for coffee? And I said, uh, no thank you, I've got to go to work. And she said, no, would you like to come in for coffee? And I said, no, I am going to work. And she literally said, one last time, would you like to come in for coffee and I said no I have to go to work at that point I turned on my heels and walked off to work got about a hundred yards down the road and realized that she didn't necessarily mean coffee cocky I may have been sensible not so much now back to the story so, I have made it back safely from Amsterdam. I have my three or four video cassettes. I've dished them out amongst uh, my friends at the pub and everyone is happy. And while I was dishing them out, I mentioned to an old school friend of mine the fact that I'd been into the booth with the TV, the chair, the video recorder and the box of Kleenex. And when he'd stopped laughing hysterically, he said, that's brilliant, you need to write that down. Now, being a journalist at that point, I thought, yes, you're right. So I did, I wrote down exactly what had happened to me, much the same as I'm explaining it to you now. It was only when I'd finished writing the story, I, I was sat there thinking, well, I've got a thousand words here, basically illustrating how naive I am. What do I do with it now? So I decided to send it to uh, an adult magazine. I actually sent it to a magazine called Fiesta. I'm not sure if it still exists, but it's, it was certainly quite a big deal back in the 80s and the 90s. So I sent it to Fiesta. Within a week, I had a letter come back to say, we would love to publish your story about your trip to Amsterdam. 
um, would you accept £400 in payment? Yes, <laughs> yes, I absolutely would. So quickly responded, and they paid me £400 for me to confess my naivety. Now that, you would think, would be the end of the story, but it wasn't. About a month later, I had another letter from Fiesta, who but had basically taken quite a shine to my writing style, and they believed that I was suitable for a new project that they had planned. Um, the editor, who was a woman, explained to me that um, they received hundreds and hundreds of letters from men, all men, um, claiming to have um, serviced the local women's football team or uh, you know, the, the local netball team single-handedly, one man, 11 women, and and she explained, you know, obviously we know none of this is true. What we would like to do is start a new column in which we show the, the, the real side and possibly even the downside of um, sex. And we have decided to call it, she said, Crap Shag Corner. And she decided, or they decided, that there was no better person to write for Crap Shag Corner than me. The initial commission was to write three columns and it was explained to me that I would write one per month for the first three months, after which they expected to receive dozens and dozens of entries from their, their avid readership. I wrote that column for four whole years and in all that time they'd never received a single entry. Um, where did I get my crap shag corner stories from? Uh, I made some of them up. Um, one or two were based loosely on personal experience. A lot of them were actually drawn from my friends. The sort of thing that you start to tell your friends when you've, when you've had a few pints and, and nobody's listening and, and they decide to confess. But in all instances, every single instance, for four whole years, so that's 48 of those columns, every time I wrote the story of somebody's sexual misadventures, I always, always, always change the names to protect the innocent, except once. Um, I wrote a story about um, something that my sister-in-law had confessed to me, and I kept her name. It was only her first name, so only me and her ever knew about this, and I don't suppose she was an avid reader of the magazine. And incidentally, although I did the deal with um, Fiesta, all those columns actually appeared in a magazine called Razzle. Not, don't know if the Razzle still exists, but yet yeah, for, for a long time, for as I say, four years, I had a career in porn. And, and bizarrely, I was actually on the mailing list. I used to receive a free copy. You imagine telling your 16-year-old self that you get a free copy of a, a porn magazine every single month just to prove that they had published your article. Um, I guess the only other part of that story is the fact that uh, I reached out to the magazine and said, well, you know, I've been writing for you for four years. I'm sure you must have Christmas parties at which there are lots of naked, naked models and, and that kind of thing. Uh, turns out they don't. Uh, and it also turns out that the entire staff, which was, I think it was four photographers, um, a couple of editorial staff, the editor herself, every single person that worked on that magazine was female. Um, in my head, I didn't expect that. As far as I was concerned, it was a bunch of men in dirty ra raincoats. Turns out it was all women. So that was how I came to have uh, my four-year career in the porn industry, and they paid me, they paid me more and faster than anybody else that I was working for at the time. Uh, it was a shame that when that one came to an end, um, did I ever keep my hand in? No, I didn't. 
Have I ever decided to, to go back and revisit that industry? No. And the annoying thing is I never kept all of the articles because now, obviously, in the age of, of self-publishing books, I could have actually republished those as a book. I even had a, a, a title in mind, Bedroom Disasters, but I was robbed of that because my filing system wasn't up to the job. So that's how I ended up with a porn career. Quite how I went from porn to diggers, I'll leave you to fathom out because I never have. But that's been Beyond the Reporter's Notebook. I'll be back again very, very soon with something perhaps a little more tame next time. But thanks for listening. Um, thanks for watching. I'll see you soon.